In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. By God's grace and mercy, we have arrived at the fifth Sunday of Great Lent. It's the last Sunday of Great Lent. This Friday is the final day of Great Lent. So thanks be to God that we have made this journey together and that we are now reaching the end of this journey. As you know, we have Holy Week ahead of us. We have this wonderful little festal weekend of Lazarus Saturday and Palm Sunday. Then we enter into Holy Week so that we can remember our Lord's passion and his glorious resurrection. We were saying at the beginning of Lent, Kali Sarakosti, Blessed Lent. And now we say Kalo Pascha, because Pascha is coming close. So we say this to each other, Kalo Pascha, and the other replies, Kalo Pascha. So greet one another in this greeting, in anticipation of the joy that we have coming towards us. Today is also another milestone because it's the last echo of Pascha 2020. Remember a year ago what things were like. It's quite different now. A year ago, we celebrated Pascha, and we reset the liturgical clock of the, of the church. And from that Pascha, as with every Pascha every year, everything is built off of that. You may not know this, but we have eight different modes within the, the liturgical cycle. And each of those modes has an entire week's worth of hymns that are dedicated, that are used during that mode. If you just come on Sundays, all you would know about that is that there are these eight resurrectional hymns that keep rotating through. But in fact, there's an entire chapter of a book, an entire book called the Octoikos, that has all of these hymns. And so each week, starting from Pascha, each week is in a different mode. We go through these eight modes, week after week after week. And today, if you listened closely, we sang the resurrectional hymn, of the fourth mode. And we are thus saying goodbye to last year's Pascha. This is the final week that we'll be using those hymns that are in relation to last year's Pascha. We'll begin a new Pascha and a new cycle. And through the entire coming year, we'll all be in relation to Pascha. I was listening to Father Barnabas Powell yesterday, or two days ago. He gave a talk for our clergy laity assembly. And he mentioned, if you want to become, if you want to know the theology of the church, just come to Orthros every, for an entire year. Because in Orthros, as well as in Vespers, we have all of these hymns that are in relation to the cycle of the services, the cycle of the modes. So if you want to know more of the theology of the church, if you want to become more deeply embedded in the orthodox way, start by coming to Orthros. Come to Vespers. Today we also commemorate St. Mary of Egypt. She is always commemorated on the fifth Sunday of Great Lent. Most of us already know her life. If you don't, it's a very brief summary on the front of the bulletin, but you can read her entire life written by Saint Sophronius, Patriarch of Jerusalem, who wrote her life, who was told her life by some monks at this monastery along the Jordan. But Saint Mary, as we all know, 
She lived, she was raised as a Christian. She was baptized in Egypt. And then when she reached adolescence, she forsook all of that and went off to Alexandria and lived a life that was very full of sin. Harlot would be a word that could be used for her life very much. And so for 17 years, she lived this life. And she was completely, had completely abandoned the church, the faith, all of that, and just gone after this life. In the pursuit of this life, it caused her to be curious. We might say divine providence was involved. There are some people who are getting onto a boat to go to Jerusalem. And so she decided to go on the journey, not for any holy purpose at all, but to continue the life that she led. And when she came to Jerusalem, she continued this life. But as God's providence would be, it was Great Lent. And the midpoint of Great Lent, the veneration of the Holy Cross, which you now realize has been celebrated at least for 1,500 years because they were celebrating it then. This Feast of the Holy Cross was celebrated and the, the pilgrims were going to Jerusalem to venerate the Holy Cross of Christ. And so she came into the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. She was unable to enter. Again, we all know this story. And so then by divine providence, she prayed to the Mother of God at she realized that she was prohibited from entering the church by an invisible force because of her sinful life. So she repented deeply. She was granted to enter the church to venerate the Holy Cross of Christ. And then she lived the rest of her life in repentance, in the desert, around no one, repenting of, deeply of her sin for 47 years before she met St. Zosimus, who was the one monk who was able to find out her story before she reposed. In St. Mary's life, we can see a pattern for our own lives. There's a cycle that's manifested in her life, sort of in big script in her life. In our life, this cycle continues regularly, maybe even daily. And this cycle begins with a realization you might call it an illumination, a revelation, but there's a realization. And that realization, as with St. Mary of Egypt, was standing before the icon of the Mother of God. She had the realization, because she was barred entry into the church, the realization of what was causing the barring of her entry. So many times in our own lives, we have realizations. We, we have a moment where we realize something that is sinful about ourselves. What we don't realize with St. Mary is that, or we don't think about this, is she didn't know her sin. Now that might sound a, a strange statement. She didn't know her sin. We could say she didn't know her sin because if she did know her sin, what was actually she was causing to herself and to others, she wouldn't have done it. This is why our Lord hanging on the cross can say, Father, forgive them, they know not what they do. And if we look at it in a superficial way, we could say, of course they know what they did. Of course they knew they were crucifying Christ. So why is Christ saying this? Because they don't actually know. And likewise with St. Mary, we hear her story from her own mouth after she's already realized it. But before that moment, she didn't really realize it. 
I'm sure she had little hints or whatever, but she didn't fully realize it until that moment. That's the moment of realization that I'm talking about, where we say, something is wrong in me. I see it now. In the Vespers hymn last night, it said, Your prolonged polluted state with all your prior defilements like a wall prevented you from beholding the holy sights of Christ. Then your mind went to God when a prick of conscience and awareness of what you had done had their effect on you to a higher lifestyle converting you. So she had the prick of her conscience, an awareness of the deep and grave sin that she had been committing for so many years in her life. In our own lives, this comes many times. I can think of times even in the last week for myself where I go, oh, I see that now. I see it now. And sometimes it, it comes like a light shining. Sometimes it comes like a spotlight, a little too bright, a little bit too much of the ugliness of myself. That's not always an easy thing to experience. But we have at that moment of realization a choice to accept it or to deny it. Because the voice of our conscience is the voice of God. God himself is the one that is saying to us, look at this. I'm shining the light on it for you. I've allowed a situation so that you can see your sin right now. But we have the choice. Do we accept that or do we deny that? There are many ways that we deny it. A really common way is by pointing it at other people. Oh, I got angry because that person was such a jerk. Oh, I did this because I was really tired. Oh, because this, or because of that, or because that person did this thing, or because this situation was going on in my life. All of these are ways for us to deny the thing that has been revealed to us rather than to fully embrace and say, no, it's me. It's my weakness, my brokenness, my sin. We can become unwilling to see or blinded. Sometimes our blindness is quite intentional. We use phrases like, I don't know what got into me. If you ever want to say that phrase, just ponder it a little bit. What was in you was there already. And it just happened to come out. <laughs> Nothing came into you. Something came out of you. And it was ugly. And you didn't like it. And you're ashamed of it. And so you say, I don't know what got into me. These are ways in which we deny the realization that God is giving to us. If we continue to deny our conscience, then we become more numb to our conscience. St. Dorotheos of Gaza says, it is in our power to either bury our conscience or to allow it to shine within us and enlighten us through our subordination to it. Because when our conscience tells us to do something and we ignore it, or when it advises us to do something and we don't do it, we burden it as th or as though bury it so that its voice becomes fainter from the weight on it. Just like it is impossible to see your reflection in muddy water, so do we cease to understand what our conscience says to us when we say it, sin continuously. There's a little parallel in the gospel today. 
you heard in the gospel, Christ is telling about being crucified, put to death. And what's the very next thing that happens? Those sons of Zebedee come up to him and say, hey, can we sit at your right hand and left hand? He couldn't even hear it. It was like the words went right by. And if you look at the gospel, how many times did Christ say to the disciples, the Son of Man will be delivered up and he will be tortured and he will be crucified? Again and again he would say it. And they wouldn't hear it. This is how we are with our consciences so often. We just don't even listen, don't want to listen. So our first step in this cycle is that realization. And if we accept it, we accept it and say, this is how I am. This is who I am. Then the next thing comes, which is shame. We feel ashamed. We feel ashamed because we don't like the ugliness that is in us. Now, shame is a very common thing talked about in this present day and age. In psychology, you can read all kinds of books about shame, about toxic shame, about what shame is and what shame does. So a lot you can read about that. So what is shame? Shame, first of all, is God-given. Shame is the sensation of alienation from God. We need to have that feeling. It's not that God is alienating himself from us, but that we are moving away from God. So thank God that we have shame because that's what tells us there's something wrong. This is what happened to Adam and Eve in the garden. They were ashamed. And so they went and hid themselves from God. And we would say, how silly is that that they hid themselves from God? But we do it all the time. All the time we hide ourselves from God. As though God doesn't see our sin. As though God doesn't see our brokenness and our weakness. We know in our heads that God does, but the shame makes us just want to go and hide it away. Not bring it to him in prayer and not bring it to him in confession. So shame is God-given. But shame can have two outcomes. It can bring us toward God or away from God. So this gets, if you want to sort of translate this into the language of our time, this might be what you call toxic shame, when it brings us away from God. When it causes us spiritual stagnation, when it causes us to have that thought from the demons of, I'm not worthy of God, or God is angry at me. All of this is the, the, the kind of shame that is harmful and hurtful where our conscience speaks to us and we have that sense of alienation from God, the devil comes in then and distorts it and makes it into something that is a wedge between us and God. That can't be. Why? Because God's the one that gave us the realization. So either God is giving us a realization so that he can put a wedge between us and him, or he's giving us the realization so that we can no longer have the wedge that already exists. Which is it? So we can't allow shame to bring us away from God because it's something that God gives us so that we can turn to him. Nothing is too offensive or ugly or gross or sinful to God. Nothing is. Nothing will deter his love for us. So in this cycle, we have the realization 
we choose to accept it or not, then we have the shame. And the shame, again, another decision point, if you will. Do I turn towards God in my shame, or do I turn away from God? It's very important that we understand these things in the right way. And the devil wants us to reject God, or he wants us to reject our shame. That's the other thing that we can do that's also a trick from the evil one. Is we can reject our shame. We can just say, oh, well, it's not me. I didn't do that. All the things I just talked about earlier. Not accepting the realization. So our path is through shame to God. And so how do we go towards God? The final step in this circle is repentance. So what we see in the life of St. Mary is all those things happened at this key moment. And she spent the, the rest of her life in repentance. The rest of her life. But in fact, when she went into the desert, if you read her whole life, as we did on, on Wednesday evening, if you read her whole life, she spent many years in the desert having more realizations of her sin, more struggles against sin, more that she felt ashamed about, and more that she turned towards God in repentance. The cycle that I'm talking about, it is a cycle. How does repentance go back to the realization? Well, the realization is from God himself. God gives that to us. We accept it. We feel the shame. We move towards repentance. And what happens as the fruit of repentance? We see more wedges between us and God. God reveals more to us. But he's a loving and patient God, so he'll do this all in due time. And over time, we keep having more and more revealed to us. And more times all along this cycle... The evil one, he can pull us off in wrong direction, broken down by God himself. But the only way that they get broken down by God himself is if we say, yes, God, I see it, break it down. I'm simplifying that, of course. It's not as simple as that. But God gives us our freedom. This last week, I bought some blueberries. This relates, trust me. And I've never had blueberries before, but we bought some blueberry. Uh, and so we go to this, uh, this little berry farm up on the west slope, Bonnie Slope. And the, the guy there, is very, he loves blueberries because he has them. He loves telling about blueberries. So I knew to call him up. And I called him up and said, what should I do? How should I plant them? What should I do to take care of them? And so he proceeds with about a 20-minute conversation, just rapid fire all the different things. And he says, when you put them in the ground, Prune them back. Prune them back so much. If you think you've pruned them back too much, then maybe you just got far enough. You want to prune them back completely. Do not let them bear fruit. If you see any blossoms, pull the blossoms off. Just do that. Why? Because as we know, with pruning, pruning makes a more healthy plant. In the case of blueberries, they'll spend all their energy producing these blossoms when what we want is we want them to get good roots. And so we prune everything back so that they focus on getting their roots down deep. And those roots going deep down, that's what causes the plant to then, in subsequent years, be much more fruitful. We can see the spiritual lesson here, right? So this pruning is exactly the cycle that I'm talking about. Our Lord says in the Gospel, remember? In the Gospel of John, he says, Every branch that bears fruit, 
He prunes that it may bear more fruit. Pruning is illogical. You're harming the plant. You're cutting off things that have life in them so that they die. It doesn't make sense. And yet we do it all the time. We just think you're supposed to prune. I have a rose bush. I prune it back. But if you think about what you're doing, you're actually cutting off limbs of the plant. Limbs like arms and legs of the plant. And saying, oh, well, that will make a stronger plant. It's not logical. And yet it does make sense. Because the plant then digs down more deeply into its roots. It becomes a stronger, healthier plant. So how are we like the blueberries? These are my branches. My soul is my roots. And so as we prune back our body, which is what we're doing in Lent, in Lent we are cutting things back. We're cutting things out. And in doing so, we are, in the language of the faith, mortifying the flesh. Killing the body is another way of putting that. And yet it's not actually killing, it's making a stronger body because the soul is stronger. And as the soul becomes stronger, more built up with virtues, then the body itself becomes more healthy. So this is our spiritual life as well. This cycle of realization, of the experience of shame, and of repentance. Learn this from St. Mary and apply this in your life because the evil one is crafty, he doesn't want us to realize, and he doesn't want the shame to turn into anything good. And the last thing that he wants, the thing that burns him, is repentance. You can burn the evil one by your repentance. He can't touch you. When you're actually repenting, he can't touch you. So make this our life, my brothers and sisters. May we continue in this cycle. May it be an upward cycle into the glory of God.